Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 668 with Scott Shute. Scott has one of the coolest job titles in the world, and he is sharing from experience how to make work all the more meaningful and fulfilling with some good practices associated with mindfulness and compassion. So you'll learn one, why mindfulness matters at work, two, how to keep your inner critic from hijacking your day, and three, the four steps to cultivating compassion. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP668. And if you're hanging out at awesomeatyourjob.com, I'd recommend you check out our gold nugget email list. This provides summary wisdom from each guest you can read in about three minutes, delivered right to your inbox the day the episode goes live. And when you sign up, you also unlock the vault of all 668 episodes summaries, and we call those the gold nuggets over there at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Scott's story. Scott was previously the vice president of LinkedIn's customer operations organization and his current role as head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn, Scott blends his lifelong practice and passion with his practical leadership and operations excellence. His mission is to change work from the inside out by mainstreaming mindfulness and operationalizing compassion. He's the author of the book, The Full Body Yes, available in May 2021. Hey, that's now. Big thanks to Scott for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Scott. Scott, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm so excited to dig into your wisdom here. But first, I want to hear about your love of motorcycles. (laughs) Well, I grew up on a farm in Kansas and, you know, just in the wide open spaces. So I grew up riding dirt bikes since I was six. And one of my big adventures was a couple of buddies and I, when we graduated from college, we rode from Kansas to the East Coast and up into Canada and back over 5,000 miles in like three weeks camping. And then we didn't talk to each other for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually you returned to conversation. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, let's hear about your latest book here, The Full Body Yes, Change Your Work and Your World from the Inside Out. Tell us what's the most maybe surprising or counterintuitive discovery you've made along the way as you put this together. Wow, interesting. So these are a lot of stories from my own life, but I think they're the stories about each one of us. And I think it would be relevant for everybody. And it's really about, it kind of follows this Rumi quote. I love to quote Rumi. He's a you know 13th century master and poet. 
He says, yesterday I was clever and I tried to change the world, but today I am wise and I'm working on changing myself. And for me, mm-hmm. that's kind of what this is, right? You, you can open any newspaper, or any news app and think, oh my God, what a mess that we live in. But ultimately, for me, it's about the work that I can change on myself that allows me to then be strong with whatever life brings me and change the world and work as well. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Okay. Well, so then that sounds wise and, and sensible. <laughs> is that kind of the core thesis or big idea of the book here? Yeah, it's about, look, I wanted to write a book about compassion. In my day job, I'm, I'm now, we can get into it, but I'm the, I'm the head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn. And so I wanted to write a book about compassion. And I realized that 99% about being compassionate or learning how to be compassionate to other people is getting out of our own way. It's dealing with our own mess. It's our own development. And so I kind of go through this arc in my life of how I've learned how I've messed it up and also how I've learned how I've sometimes gotten it right. Well, but so much I already want to dig into. So as the head of mindfulness and compassion, <laughs> sure. do you feel a lot of pressure to be super <laughs> mindful and compassionate every day? Well, what I could tell you is that sometimes, sometimes my wife and I are arguing and probably usually she's right, but she'll throw around, hey, aren't you the head of mindfulness? That, like that doesn't sound very, <laughs> like, <"Arr." laughs> look, I never pretend to be perfect. It's just my title. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Well, okay. Well, so that's a really cool title at a, a world-leading organization. And, and so I think some people might say mindfulness, compassion. Sure. Are those even things that are really important to be at work? It's called work for a reason. And sure. th- that's your job. What's the business case associated with these things? Sure. Well, I always start with the question, if I'm talking to leaders, like, do you care about your employees or not? Because you know, let, let's face it, work has changed over the years. If we go way back, like think about building the pyramids. We had kings and slaves, right? Mm-hmm. And then that evolved into indentured servants or landowners and not landowners. In the industrial revolution, you had people in factories and, and probably largely workers were viewed as interchangeable or replaceable. But now in the information age, a company like LinkedIn and many others, we don't have hard assets. All we have is our people. And so our number one asset should also be our number one investment. Mm -hmm. If our people are operating at their best, if they're happy, if they're mentally well, they're going to produce great results. Now, what we know about mindfulness and practices like that, you can think of it like mental exercise, like physical exercise. So we know that, look, there's 6,000 peer-reviewed papers that show that mindfulness reduces stress, reduces anxiety, increases creativity, and increases the quality of leadership and connection. Mm -hmm. Now, what leader doesn't want that in their organization? So that's what we're up to. Okay, super. Well, then in practice, how do you go about integrating mainstream mindfulness, operationalizing compassion. These are some terms that that come up here. How do you do that? Yeah. Let's talk about it in two ways. Let's talk about mindfulness first. And so we're trying to mainstream it, meaning make it just as normal as physical exercise. So if somebody asks you, hey, what are you going to do after work? Oh, I'm going to go to the TRX class. I'm going to go for a run. Everybody thinks, well, yeah, cool. That's totally normal. But if we said, oh, I'm going to go check out the latest meditation class at 4.30 or 5, it's like, uh, okay. (laughs) And so here's how we're mainstreaming it. We're trying to make it just as normal as physical exercise. So every place we have a gym, you know, LinkedIn is a company that has 15 or 16,000 people. So we have offices all over the world where we have gyms and where we have classes like yoga or TRX. We also have classes on meditation 
or people like me are leading them on a regular basis. So 30, 40, 50 meditation sessions per week. We give everybody an app. They have access to the Why Is It Work app, which is a really cool meditation app, which designed is designed for people who are working. And then once a year, we do a 30-day challenge where we encourage people, hey, if you use the app 20 times within the 30 days, we'll give you a free t-shirt. Or this year, we did a free hoodie. And look, never underestimate the power of a free hoodie on people's behavior. Oh, yeah. And what we find is that over time, each year that we do this, people are doing it and they're adopting it and they're developing a practice. And we're just making it more and more and more commonplace. On the compassion side, so I think mindfulness is great, right? This is how we develop ourselves. But the real juice is in compassion because we don't work or live in isolation. So compassion is, I have a definition for it, but it's essentially when we're moving from just thinking about me to thinking about the we. And this shows up in our values. And it can be really simple. So as an example, our head of sales will stand on stage in front of 5,000 people at sales kickoff and say, look, don't just sell something at the end of our quarter that our customers don't need just so you can hit quota. Like we are in this for long-term value, right? Now that's at the root of that, that is compassion because we move from just selfish needs to the needs of the whole. Or product review. You know, a product manager will come to the product execs pitching their new innovations. And the meeting might start by saying, oh, hey, in this latest rev of our product, we're gonna get 12% more clicks by doing X, Y, and Z. And the first question, if they don't answer it themselves, is always, yeah, but what about the member experience? Mm -hmm. And if they answer, well, hey, look, did I mention it was 12% more clicks? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like the meeting just stops. And then it becomes an object lesson on our number one value, which is members first. So those are some of the ways that we're trying to integrate it into what we do. Okay. Well, so let's hit mindfulness a little bit in detail. There's a lot of ways one can go about being mindful. Sure. So when you are are working it and, and working out the brain, like we work out the body, what are some of the, the top recommended practices or, or pro tips to do that well? Sure. Well, what we're looking for is to reduce kind of our fight or flight system in our brain. And a lot of people experience this naturally when they go for a walk out in nature, when they spend time with loved ones or listen to music, talk with a friend. All those things can be helpful, but all some of those are not available to us in the workplace or on demand. And so mindfulness or breathing or meditating is another way to do that that's free and always portable. So as an example, if I'm headed into a stressful meeting, I have a big presentation or whatever it's going to be, I can just spend 90 seconds. I can take some deep breaths, activate the rest and digest part of my nervous system, and just kind of let my both my mind and my body settle. That's kind of a micro practice. I mean, people, of course, go on to have 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute a day, or even more practices, but they can be done in little micro doses. It just starts with awareness of when I'm kind of getting a little, you know, in, in my head and need to calm things down a bit. Certainly. Okay. And so then I've done some stuff in the mindfulness world. You've done some stuff. <laughs> I've done things, Scott, <laughs> in the mindfulness world, in terms of like apps and, you yeah. know, uh, focus, returning to my breath and, and such. Yeah. And what, what's interesting is, I guess maybe I didn't have a, a free hoodie to motivate me, <laughs> is that I find that I get in the groove and I fall yeah. out of the groove and then I get yeah. back in the groove and I yeah. fall out of the groove. What have you discovered are some of the, the best practices to, to help people do that with some consistency to really enjoy many of the benefits that these 6,000 papers are pointing to. Sure. 
I really love the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, and there's so much goodness in there. One of my favorite quotes from him is, our lives do not rise to the level of our intentions. They fall to the level of our systems. So in other words, we have these big goals we want to practice, but we just fall back into our habits. And so thinking about an atomic habit, you start with the smallest thing that I can commit to. So maybe it's, uh, I set an alarm every day for some time that works for me. And when that alarm goes, I'm just going to do a little bit, the least I can commit to. Maybe it's one breath. Maybe it's three breaths. Maybe it's, maybe over time it turns into five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes. That's one thing is just regularity. Another one is having an accountability buddy, right? So if we were to start a practice, maybe every day we're going to text each other. Hey, did you do your minutes today? Did you do your practice? There's something really powerful about having an accountability buddy and knowing that there's someone there on the other end. Other people use, I like a tick list. Right. So I have a little piece of paper that has right now I'm trying to learn how to do push-ups three days a week. And so I have a little, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I have five boxes on a piece of paper. And I know that every week I need to check off those five boxes, you know, three times a week. And so use a system that fits your life, that fits stuff you already do for work and in ways you've already built habits doing other things and use it for mindfulness. That's one. And then two is have a clear goal of why. Right. If we were going to the gym and we were going to do push-ups or work out or do whatever, if you don't know why you're there, it's really hard to get motivated to go the next time. So the same thing with mindfulness. If you have a clear goal like, wow, I know, like me personally, I know that when I don't do it, I can start to get grumpy or I can start to get a little short or I can start to get a little irritated. And when I do do it, all those things are much better. And so I have a clear picture. So each of us needs a clear intention to go along with our system. I think that's so dead on. And we're talking about the why. I just recently finished listening to Chris Bailey's How to Train Your Mind, which is excellent, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he he shared a case that revealed that for a knowledge worker, you could expect to earn back about nine minutes of good productive time for each one minute you spend in meditation. And I found that so compelling in terms of like, yeah. oh, I'm too busy. I don't feel like it. I, it's like, well, no, no. In fact, uh, you are losing time <laughs> by not doing right. this. And, and right. so that was a, a powerful why for me. And, and you've observed in your own life some benefits for who you want to be. So, mm-hmm. so that's huge. Any other huge whys pop up for people as they engage in these practices that really connects? The rest of us need you to do it. <laughs> I get anecdotal emails from from people, you know, in our program all the time. This young one young woman during COVID time sent me a mail. She's like, "Thank you so much for offering what you offer." She's like, "Look, I'm I'm a mom. I have two kids under four, and what I can tell you is I'm screaming at them a lot less." Mm-hmm. You know? and, and that wasn't it. She went on to say, you know, how she was able to be present for them, how she was able to be calm. How, look, when we take care of ourselves. We're better for everybody else around us, including our coworkers, our customers, et cetera. Well, then let's talk a little bit more about the compassion side of things and for yeah. being for others. When it comes to mindfulness, there's some particular practices that we've, we've heard before. It's like, oh, sit still, focus on your breath, return your thought yeah. to your breath when it yeah. wanders. How does one get more compassionate? Great question. So let's start with self-compassion because a lot of people really struggle with this one. But a good self-compassion exercise, and this... This goes almost to black belt level. So we'll go there. You and your listeners are ready, right? So essentially, when you're getting ready in the morning, when you're brushing your teeth or shaving or doing makeup, you put your hand on your heart, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you say your name followed by, I love you. Mm -hmm. 
that's hard in the beginning because we have all this judgment. We have all these stories like Ariana Huffington calls it the uh, obnoxious roommate, right? Mm -hmm. The inner critic that tells us all the bad things we have wrong. And it's a lot to get over that. And so just this constant practice of recognizing that our brains tend towards the negative. This is how we evolved. This is how we stayed alive. But our brains are keeping us alive, not happy, right? And so for happiness or contentment or compassion, we actually have to do a little extra work. So this hand on your heart, I love you, is one. Another one for self-compassion is to ask myself what else is true, right? If that obnoxious roommate, that inner critic is really going crazy, it's like, okay, stop. What else is true? Meaning that there's a lot of good things in my life as well, as in addition to the things my inner critic is complaining about. And if I list those things off, then I can see things in a balanced way and it makes me more stable. So that's for self. Now, if I want to have compassion for others, it's first recognizing what's going on. What's going on, just like we evolved to have a negativity bias in our bodies, we evolved to feel compassion for those who are like us. Now, like us meaning the way we think, the people we identify with, right? And so when we see someone as different, we then can only focus on those differences. And it's kind of fascinating because humans are about 98% the same, right? But if you look at the news, the polarity we have going, we only see the 2% of the differences between us. So the antidote to that is to look at someone else and realize, look, this person just wants to be happy. Mm -hmm. They just want to be healthy. They just want to have their plans work out. They're just trying to get by. They experience pain and joy just like I do. In so many ways, this person is just like me. There's a quote that gets attributed to Abraham Lincoln, you know, who was in the middle of polarity during the Civil War. And so all this kind of same stuff is happening. He says, I'll paraphrase a little bit. He says, I don't like that man. <laughs> I must get to know him better. Oh, yeah. That's where it starts. That is good. That is good. Boy, the hand on the heart, looking in the mirror, I love you. I think I've done that just a couple times ever. And it is uh, the first couple times. Thanks, I've only done it a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird feeling. Yeah. And, yeah. and yet, it's good. Yeah. And I've even, I took this from the book, When Sorry Isn't Enough, it's about apologies. And they also recommended doing a similar exercise to say, I forgive you. Yeah. To your own self. Right. And that's powerful as well. So any pro tips for those who are like, yeah, I don't know about that, Scott. Not my style. You just got to try it. Get over yourself. <laughs> so if you can't say I love you to yourself, then you probably can't say I love you to anybody else. And that's a shame. Mm -hmm. That's a shame. So this is something that the rest of us need from you, right? All right. This is part of the community that we live in. We need you to be at your best or, you know, moving away from kind of the, those bad days that we all have towards some of the good days that we all have. So try it for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. You'll be a better person. And for those who, this is, this is a little deeper here, yeah. who intrinsically feel at times or maybe most of the time yeah. unworthy of love or unlovable, mm. what do we do there? It's the same technique. It's just harder, right? This technique, it works on a number of levels because here's what's going on. When we put our hand on our heart, it has a similar effect as when we give someone a hug, right? When we give someone a hug, our bodies release oxytocin and we feel soothing, like literally in our nervous system, we feel a soothing and a calming down. So you might imagine a time, you know, when you were a child and you were being soothed by your grandmother or mother or auntie or whoever was soothing for you and go to that place, even just with your hand on your heart. And then when you can look in yourself in the eyes and say, I love you, 
what you're doing is you're letting go of all the stuff, right? Of course, we have all failed. We all have things that we have judgments about. But at the root of it, we all are lovable. There's that part of us which is deeper, beyond the body, beyond the mind and emotions. And look at it from that part, that part where we are all equal. That part is for sure lovable. And that's where love comes from. So it's making that connection from that pure part of yourself to yourself and to others in their pure part of themselves. And that's, look, this is what we're all looking for. I think that one of the most deeply held needs that each of us has is the need to be seen and heard and acknowledged and gotten, which is really saying loved. Mm -hmm. And so it starts with ourselves. All right. Thank you. This is powerful stuff. (laughs) I understand you also have a a four-step action plan. What is this for? Yes. (laughs) Well, this is in the book. So uh, my COVID project was to write a book. It's called The Full Body Yes. And I kind of go through these four steps. And this was, again, trying to get at the what's the recipe to be compassionate. So it starts with knowing ourselves, right? Each one of us has a story that only we can tell. And this, every one of us has pain and joy and whatever, but each one of us has a unique story. So it's first understanding that story, understanding why we do the things we do, understanding the systems, the internal systems that control our bodies and our minds, but also the external systems. Like, who are we making these decisions for? Is it family? Is it society? Is it our friends? And once we have a clear understanding of that, then we have choices. So that's the first step is knowing ourselves. The second step is to love ourselves. Now, this is literally to love ourselves, like this thing we were just talking about with our hand on our heart, seeing, you know, the goodness in ourselves. But it's also recognizing that we're more than just our mind and our body and our emotion and seeing ourselves at our highest. So love ourselves. Oh, and also in the love ourselves, it's learning to listen to that deeper voice within us, the voice that really just knows. And that's where the full body yes comes from. And then the third part, this is the hard part. This is the mastery of ourselves, the mastery of me. When we realize that we are in charge, that life is not happening to us, but maybe happening for us, then it's all on us. Then we have to make those choices. We have to do the hard work of whatever it is, the daily practice, or making the right choices with our sleep or our bodies or the way we conduct ourselves in life. And those things are hard. And when we can do those three things, then we have a better idea then of the fourth thing, which is doing the same three things for another person, right? Having awareness of the other person, loving the other person, and then the courage to take action on their behalf. And that's how I define compassion. Awareness of others, the capacity to have the mindset of wishing the best for them, and then the courage to take action. So those are the four steps. All right. Well, Scott, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention about mindfulness or compassion before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Well, I think that, you know, we're at a place where every company can, every organization can benefit from these. And uh, it's kind of on an evolution, just like physical exercise has been on evolution. What I didn't know before kind of this role is that 50 years ago, nobody exercised like our grandparents, our great grandparents. They didn't exercise. They worked hard. But over that time, we all learned the benefits of physical exercise. And doesn't mean we all do it, but more people are aware of it and more people are taking it up and more companies are offering programs around physical exercise. In the same way, we already know the science is great for mental exercise like meditation. And we're on the same journey. And maybe we're, you know, maybe it won't take 50 years this time, 
until we mainstream mindfulness, but uh, I think we're a lot closer. And so we, there's some playbooks that I have. You can always reach out to me if you want a playbook on how to bring mindfulness to your organization. Well, it, so we've got the book itself, The Full Body Yes, Change Your Work and Your World from the Inside Out. What are some of the, the key components of the playbook? Ah, so for the playbook, I'd say if you are a leader, these things don't have to be expensive. It's find your volunteers. So I volunteered before this became my full-time gig. There are lots of people already in your organization, I'm sure, that are excited about the stuff, right, in a broad category. Find out who they are. They would love to volunteer 5 or 10 or 20% of their time to help get a program off the ground. So find your volunteers. Perhaps find a partner. Again, the stuff doesn't have to be expensive. We like the partner Wisdom Labs. Uh, they have some great stuff that we, we use. And then find a champion whoever highest up in the organization that can talk about it and create an umbrella of safety for everyone else. In our case, I quote came out because our CEO was talking about his own practice at company all hands. And then I was a VP at the company. So for me, I was the champion. And so it made it a lot easier at LinkedIn. Those are three steps. If you are an individual and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not in charge of HR. I'm not in charge of big budget, but I'm excited about meditation. Just start. I started by leading one meditation six years ago. And that first time there was one person there, you know, and the program grew from there. So just start and your friends will follow you, right? Other people who are interested will come. All right. Thank you. And now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, I shared my roomie quote already, mm -hmm. but I'll share one from my dad. So then we'll have the, you know, clouds and the practicality. <laughs> one of my dad's favorite things, and I was so annoyed to hear this when I was 15, but he would say, basically, all of your problems can be solved if you have a good attitude, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is mostly true. <laughs> all right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Oh, when I was a kid, I used to light all kinds of things on fire to see what would happen, but that's probably not so productive <laughs> these days. <laughs> uh, I love the research that uh, Richie Davidson and team are doing at the University of Wisconsin on meditation. They've basically taken the world's, quote, professional level meditators, like these monks from Tibet and other places who have meditated 30,000, 40,000 hours to see how it changes their brains, to see if there's anything that we can learn for the rest of us who are not going to do all of that. And I think that's pretty fascinating. There's lots to learn there. Mm -hmm. And there's a book uh, that followed called Altered Traits by Richie Davidson and Dan Goldman, which is really good. And a favorite book? I mentioned James Clear's Atomic Habits. So beyond that, I'm going to go with uh, the other end of the spectrum, which is Hafiz. So Hafiz, the gift, Hafiz is, is uh, another one of those masters from the, I don't know, six or 800 years ago. He was a Persian poet like Rumi. He finds a way to bring the sublime into this world in a way that is still relevant, you know, 700 years later. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I love my phone. I'm trying not to be addicted to my phone, but oh my goodness, those things are so powerful. My kids are a little older, but every time we have the conversation about what life was like, you know, as I grew up in the 80s, they cannot believe that I did not have a cell phone. And so it's hard to imagine what life would be like without my smartphone. And is there a particular app that uh, really, really does it for you? Oh, you know, I'm probably addicted to email, but that's not that much fun. Bleacher Report, mm -hmm. uh, I keep track of the San Francisco Giants and uh, my Kansas State football and basketball teams. All right. And a favorite habit? I got to go with meditation. This whole COVID quarantine thing has actually been really good for my practice because what has happened is I've traded commuting time in the morning for meditating time. So it's the most 
regular, the most uh, the most solid my practice has ever been. Well, so since we're talking meditation and mindfulness, and that's your favorite habit, if I can zoom into your practice, sure. How exactly does it go down for Scott? Ah, so that's a great question. Thank you for asking. I usually do a little bit of settling and a little breathing, but I actually, my primary practice is I use a mantra in my own practice. It's not something I usually do at work, but in my own practice at home, I sing the word hue, H-U, long and drawn out. And for me, it acts like a tuning fork to that deepest part of me. I love it. It's cool. And so we say tuning fork, is there a particular pitch that you're going for or how's it? No, not necessarily pitch. It's just like, uh, I mean, this sounds a little weird, but it's like vibration. There's, there's something mm-hmm. about the resonance, yeah. which acts like a, like a tuning fork to soul, to that deepest part of me. So you're, you're trying to zoom in on when you're vibrating? <laughs> I'm trying to get in touch with, with that deepest part of me. I would call it, you know, soul mm-hmm. and letting go of the mind, letting go of emotions, but not letting go of the mind all the way. Like my goal is not to have no thoughts. My goal is to, to, I guess, raise myself in consciousness so that the thoughts that I do have are coming from a place that is um, a little bit deeper and truer. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? You hear them quote it back to you often? Yeah, I think, you know, I spent 25 years as an operations guy. And so I'm trying to connect these wisdom traditions and really practical, like how to live. And so when I connect, uh, you know, using this James Clear quote of our lives do not rise to the level of our goals, they fall to the level of our systems and then give them some really specific things that seems to resonate with people. Mm hmm. Yeah. And also asking the question, what else is true? Because we tend to be so negative. So just stopping when you're, when you're feeling a downward spiral and ask yourself, what else is true? In other words, what else is good? Those are some really simple ways to kind of move from where we have been to where we'd like to go. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, you can go to scottshoot.com or thefullbodyyes.com. They go to the same place or follow me on LinkedIn. That's where all my kind of daily updates are happening. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Oh, to be awesome at your job. First, be awesome at your life. And to be awesome at your life, start by loving yourself and the ones around you. So hand on heart, eyes on yourself in the mirror and say, I love you. And then go do that for someone else that you love as well. All right, Scott, this has been a treat. I wish you much love and mindfulness and compassion in your days to come. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'll tell you what, I've tried that practice where you say your name and then I love you. And I like to use my full birth name, Peter. It just kind of hits home, kind of like a parent. Peter, I love you. Or I love you, Peter, looking in the mirror. And I'll tell you, it feels a little weird. It feels a little uncomfortable. It feels a little different. And yet, it's very soothing. And I really appreciate it. During stressful times, it's like I I look myself in the mirror and I do that. and, And I really do feel soothed, calm, a sense of extra peace and compassion bubbling up and and it's sort of like well thank you pete i appreciate that that really means a lot you know i am hustling i'm working hard over here and it's just that feels good to hear that you appreciate that so it might feel uncomfortable give it a shot i recommend it it's a really good return on investment in terms of really just a few seconds and then has a nice lasting lift to the mood following so good stuff from Scott. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP668. Hope to catch you next time and peace. 
Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.